0: Merry Christmas everyone. It's so good to be together. Um, we're going to go to scripture this morning and I really want to encourage everyone this morning, whether you're tuning in or whether you're here in person, that God sees uh, the commitment, the sacrifice. It's, no, it's not lost on me the fact that um, weekends like this can feel like, let me just stay in, let me just stay under the covers I'm going to attend, uh, you know, Bedside Baptist this morning and just, uh, I want to listen to Pastor Pillow, you know, and, but yet you, you push through that and you came and you gathered and you're tuning in because you prioritize sitting at the feet of Jesus to hear his word, man, he honors that. He sees that. And I really want to encourage you in particular for next Sunday Um, I mean, I'll say it for every Sunday. Every Sunday when we gather, we just don't gather for the sake of gathering. We pray. We believe. We're asking God. We're hungry for his presence as staff and leaders. We're coming in with the intentionality that we're not wasting a moment that we could have with Jesus. And so next Sunday in particular, the first Sunday of the year, really want to encourage you, come hungry, come expectant. I'm believing that God's going to meet us powerfully. I'm believing he's going to meet us powerfully this morning because in the midst of all the craziness of this season, um, I have been absolutely struck by the scripture that we're going to get into today. I believe God has a word for us. We're going to be looking at John's gospel, the sixth chapter, verse 16 to verse 24. It reads as follows. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, They got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we come this morning with expectation, hunger, and thirst for righteousness. And you said that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. And so, Lord, we pray you'd speak to us. Arrest our hearts this morning by your grace. Lord, and we thank you for your presence here. Fill our hearts with your presence, O oh God. Speak to us. Holy Spirit, glorify Jesus. Reveal him in a transformative and powerful way. And may we grow in deep, deep affection for you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, I remember years ago, I was talking to this young man, um... And he was desperately trying to break an addiction in his life. And I remember the overwhelming sense of powerlessness that he felt. And I was just listening. And, I, you know, have you ever had one of those conversations where you almost have to, like, sit on your hands because you want to give advice? You know, you just want to be prescriptive. But that's not what he needed. That's not what he, he needed me to listen And as I was listening, I could hear in his voice how powerless he felt because he basically described his routine every day essentially was him trying to dodge the bullet, trying to dodge and evade him being cornered and and then feeling powerless again. And I remember as I heard him say this, it struck me the reality that so much frustration that we have in life is knowing the right thing to do, yet feeling powerless to do it. Can you relate? Knowing the right thing to do, yet feeling powerless to do it. Perhaps some of us experienced that over family meals the last couple of days. You know the right thing to do was to avoid that comment that uncle so-and-so said and let that thing slide. Oh, but isn't it difficult? You feel powerless to do the right thing And that can be so overwhelming. And I think it's a moment right now that we're feeling in the air, that we're experiencing collectively as our society and our city, that right now we probably feel overwhelming powerlessness with respect to fear. Fear is all around us. Fear is trying to invade our thoughts our language, our communication. Fear is shaping how we behave, the decisions we make. Fear is an ever-present experience that we're all going through, whether you're a believer in Jesus or not. And here's the thing. I don't know about you, I've never met anybody who was feeling powerless in the presence of fear that didn't want it to end. No one wants to feel Powerless in the presence of fear. Do you, do you realize that there's a reason why roller coasters are short and distant in time? Um, and and you realize, like even if you watch a scary movie, they they, they have lows in between the moments where they accelerate your heart rate because they know you can't stay there forever. You know, like your heart will implode. You can't stay on a 10-hour roller coaster. You're gonna die. You know, like it's it, we we no one who is in the presence of Fear and feeling powerless doesn't crave for it to end, for you to regain some agency. But fear has the ability to make us feel powerless. And with all that said, I got bad news for us. You're know, like, wait, you already gave us, gave us bad news. Yeah, well, more bad news. I'm going I'm to straight talk with you. Um, I've I've talked with PhDs in psychology. I've read countless books. um, I've talked to people that were experts in the area of human emotions and coping and surviving, and there is no cure for the experience of fear. There's no cure. There's nothing that will cure you from not feeling fear. There's no pill you can take. There's no, there's no therapy you can do. There's nothing that will cure you from actually experiencing fear. You're going to experience it. You're going to have to deal with it. And, and the, the reality is we either confront our fears, we ignore them, we choose to cope with them, we coexist with them, we accept them. But at the end of the day, there's no future in your life and my life where you will never not experience fear. Fear is always going to be a present reality that we have to learn how to face, and that's why I think this story, if fear is going to be with us, if we're going to deal with it, right now we're experiencing fear in light of specific circumstances around COVID, around potentially going back to a lockdown. Like if you say lockdown, some people's spines get tense because it conjures up some really difficult seasons that we've just gone through, in light of everything that's going on that you and I can feel powerless in the, in the presence of, we need an answer from heaven. We need a word from God. If there's no cure for this, what does Jesus have to say? What? How might Jesus help us navigate what seems to be so insurmountable? And that's where we come to this story in the Gospel of John, and I believe it provides It's a profound answer to that experience of feeling powerless in the presence of fear. Let's unpack this text. If if we read the context of the passage, we notice something. Jesus, before this moment of crossing over on this lake, which was a very big lake, several miles, he had just performed an incredible miracle. A little boy's lunch was transformed and thousands were fed. And before this passage, it's interesting, the people were so moved by this miracle that they actually said, We're going to force Jesus to become our king. So Jesus is going through this journey of going on this lake, getting onto the other side, because he's essentially getting away from people that are going to try to force him to be king. Because that's not how he was going to ever be king. He was never, we have to be very clear, Jesus is not king because he was voted in. Jesus is not king because he's popular. Jesus is king because he's king. But yet, in this moment, prior to this scene that we just read, wrap your mind around this. People had, had had a fabulous lunch and as a result of that, they wanted to make Jesus their king. I remember when I was nineteen years old, a very dear friend of mine took me to Peter Luger's steakhouse. That's right that deserves that heartfelt ooh first of all, I didn't know places like this existed um, and 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 also how many of you and and my mom might see this so I love you mom but I grew up; steak was cooked till it was rubber. How many of you ever ever grew up having rubber steak? And then you, the only solution was to like douse a one sauce. I did not know that steak could taste the way it tasted that day. Oh my gosh! It, the steak made you talk to God as you ate it. And then they brought the thick-cut bacon. Have you ever had the thick-cut? If you have not prioritized that in 2022, come on. You make it happen. Love yourself. As glorious as that meal was, there was no point in time that I turned to the waiter and said, "You shall be my king." You, I, you need to rule over my life." Yet these folks, they had one lunch. And they wanted to make Jesus their king, but here, as, as beautiful as that might sound, it's like, oh, don't we want people to want Jesus to be their king? Yes, we do. But when you want to make Jesus your king because he meets your needs, then that kingship is shallow because there might be some times where Jesus will disappoint your expectations. And what happens then? Is he less worthy of being king in your life? Do we serve him less? And so at this moment, they're wanting to make Jesus King, and, and, and it's shallow because when we're worshiping Jesus, because he blesses us in a particular way, we may not be aware, but we're limiting our ability to worship Jesus. If you are only if your worship of Jesus is only predicated on good times, on blessings, on pleasure, on comfort, then you are limiting the degree of your heart's ability to worship Jesus. And so Jesus doesn't respond rightly. He's like, I will not set you up for a relationship with me where you will revere me only because I do good things for you. And so he goes on this journey. Goes, he sends the disciples first, and they're rowing several miles on this lake. And as we read... It turns out that rough storms were quite the norm on this lake. They would happen all the time. It's similar to certain parts of our country where when the news hits that there was a tornado, we're not shocked because we know, we we become accustomed. We know in certain regions of the country, when cold and hot air mix, bad things begin to happen. And so on this lake, it was not a shock that there would be some rough storms. And I want you to notice something in the reaction of the disciples to two things. It says that they essentially, they didn't mind the boat ride. There's no evidence in the text that they had any fear about the storm that was coming. They had no fear about the physical danger that they were putting themselves in by being on the boat. Yet we read that they were gripped with fear when they saw Jesus. Now, to be fair, if I see someone walking on water at night, I might be a little freaked out. However, they were, by virtue of repetitive action and by their trade, They had come to a place where they no longer were afraid of something that most people would be afraid of. If you weren't used to it, if you weren't conditioned to not fear it, you would rightly be afraid. You should be afraid of being on a boat. Now, you got to understand, this was not some big constructed boat that's been tested and engineered. This was a handmade small boat. It it, it does not stand chance with most winds and most storms, and yet they weren't afraid of that, but they were afraid of Jesus. There's something there that I want to tease out, because as we sit with this, I realize that later on, these disciples will appreciate what Jesus was doing at this moment, that he's walking on water to show them that he was the promised, awaited Savior of the world, that he was God that came in the flesh, that greater than Moses who parted the Red Sea, he walks on the water. Jesus was, was demonstrating his power over all creation, but at this moment, they were afraid of him and they weren't afraid of the storm. What that reveals about the human soul is that we often fear the wrong things we often fear the wrong things see the boat ride the boat ride and the waves they should have feared that yet they feared Jesus the waves could have taken their lives Jesus is coming to save their life yet they feared Jesus What's interesting about this moment is that we can pull from it a bigger understanding that we deal with all the time in our lives and that we often fear God in a way that keeps him at a distance from us, yet we allow truly harmful things to cozy up to us. They allow the true harm, the true danger of being on the boat in a a lake that was constantly affected by storms. They allowed themselves to become comfortable with a real threat, but yet they were afraid of Jesus coming near. We do this so often in our life. If we pause and and we reflect, there are things in our life that we've allowed to come so close to us that we should keep far, yet we've kept God far, yet we should allow him to come close. We fear the wrong things. We fear things rather than fearing God, or we fear God in a way that keeps him at a distance rather than draws him close to us. And at this moment, Jesus says something that provides healing for our fear. Again, I want to be clear. A God who walks on water should be feared, but not in a way that hinders relationship with him, And here's one of the reasons I said earlier that you and I should put to rest the hope of ever being cured of the experience of fear. You and I will never live a day where we will be immune to the potential experience of fear. And you know why you and I will never be immune to it? Because God created you and I with the capacity to fear. That was created by God. He put that in you and I so that it could be expressed in its rightful and its only purpose. He created you with the capacity to fear that you and I could rightly fear him. Unfortunately, sin and the brokenness of this world perverts that capacity, and we end up fearing things greater than we fear God. Or we end up fearing God in a way that keeps him at a distance allows things that we should keep far, we let them into our souls. See, if Jesus cured us from the capacity to fear, he would rob us from the capacity to fear him. You know, you know the thing that makes every single one of us PhD-level wise, MIT grad level brilliant is the fear of God. The word of God says, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. For you and I, what makes us wise is not our wit, it's not our pedigree, it's not the school we went to. The fear of God makes us wise. It tethers us to him and it causes us to see reality as it truly is and it informs our decisions and it keeps us in the bounds of his wisdom. You and I don't want to be freed from that. You you don't. And I don't want to ever wake up in our lives and say, I no longer have the capacity to fear because then I lose my capacity to fear God. I don't want to be invincible to him. I don't want to be impenetrable to him. The capacity to fear is rightly expressed. It's, it's true created intent when it is expressed in relationship to God. You and I should live under a cloud of intense reverence for God, where our thoughts are bent toward how can I honor him? How how would my life express my deep reverence for God? How do my decisions line up with this guiding principle, this foundational truth that I should revere him? But I should revere him not the way the disciples revered him. They were frightened and they kept him at a distance for a moment. Eventually they let him in the boat, but at first they recoiled. If your reverence for God causes you to run from God when you sin, it's not reverence, it's legalism. If your reverence for God causes you to put a facade on and not be honest with God about true state of your heart because if he knew he would love me less that's not reverence that's not holiness that's performance and that's keeping God at a distance a pastor friend of mine shared this insight this season of life we celebrate the living God entering into a manger that was covered in dirt and animal feces and all this kind of junk You and I would act one moment of our life that God would be uncomfortable living in the mess of our life. With this season of life, we celebrate the living God that's willing to come that up close and personal with his creation that nothing broken in us causes him to recoil. A proper, true fear of God allows him to come close rather than keeps him at bay. How does Jesus heal our fears? At this moment, he doesn't take away our capacity to fear. He heals it by saying these words. It is I. Don't be afraid. It is I. Don't be afraid. Now you may say, Chris, I'm not in the mood for simplistic Things, fear is complicated, life is difficult. This sounds too simple. Let let me be clear. I'm not saying it is I, don't be afraid. Jesus is saying this to us. And behind those words are powerful implications. When Jesus says it is I, don't be afraid, he's communicating to our hearts to not let the fear of things become greater than our reverence for him. You know what cures our fear, what delivers us from that powerlessness feel in the presence of fear is not the lack of fear, it's an increase of fear toward God. What happens in our journey as we follow Jesus is that our reverence for God becomes greater than our fear of things. If you want to know how we can manage and live our life out in the day-to-day circumstances where there are legitimate sources of fear, where there are storms, where you could drown like these disciples, where there's things that you should be concerned with, how you you and I could walk through those things and not be paralyzed in it, not live couched up and secluded about all the things that could potentially harm us is that you and I walk around with a greater fear. I remember there was a kid in our neighborhood. He was a tough talker, yet he was constantly getting beat up. And we kept trying to tell him, bro, your lips and your mouth are getting you in trouble. You're saying things that your fighting game can't back up. Nobody was afraid of him, but he had a big brother. Oh, and that big brother was a big brother. People were afraid of the big brother. I think about that scenario when it comes to fear. The only thing that can deliver you from lesser fears is a greater fear. The only thing that you you and I can be delivered from the fear of of viruses, the fear of lockdowns, the fear of joblessness, the fear of financial struggles, those are legitimate fears. The only way those fears become smaller is when you and I allow the fear of God to become greater. When when Jesus is saying, it is I, don't be afraid, he's delivering us from lesser fears by orienting our hearts to a greater reverence. It's only as reverence for Jesus increases that we become free from the paralyzing power of these smaller fears. When he says, it is I, he's inviting us to have a reverence that causes us to run to him rather than run from him. When he says, it is I, don't be afraid, he's inviting us to bring every other fear under the fear of God. There are things that can paralyze me with fear. When I think long and hard about things that I get concerned about for my kids, for my family, for our church, just for society, if I sit there long enough, I can get paralyzed with fear on so many things. The only thing that saves me from being paralyzed by those lesser fears is when I increase my fear of God. I would say, how can I be afraid of this and that when he is king, when he is Lord, when he governs, when he rules, when he's sovereign. When Jesus says, it is I, don't be afraid. He's doing something profound. I, 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 what I realize is that At first glance, when you hear Jesus saying, it is I, don't be afraid, when he's telling his disciples to not be afraid, it could almost appear that Jesus is suppressing them from expressing their fear. Again, they should be afraid. He's walking on water, but he's doing something way deeper than just reacting to the surface response to what's happening at this moment. Jesus was speaking to the spirit of fear. The spirit of fear. Do you know that in Scripture there are certain emotions that are charged with spiritual power, spiritual force? Fear in the Scriptures is not just a human emotion. It's attached to spiritual power and life. That's why the fear of God gives you wisdom and life. But also the Scriptures repeatedly talk about the spirit of fear. Romans 8 says, we've not been given the spirit of fear whereby we're slaves to fear. We, we've been given the spirit of adoption that makes us sons and daughters. Second Timothy 1 says, we've not been given the spirit of fear. Fear, the spirit of fear, is what Jesus was addressing at that moment. He wasn't trying to calm down and silence human fear. He was addressing the spirit of fear. He was cutting that short because the spirit of fear will make you fear things more than you fear God, And will make you fear God in a way that you run from God rather than running to God. The spirit of fear is what causes us to be paralyzed in the presence of fearful things. Yet Jesus is liberating us when he says, it is I. Don't be afraid. Your freedom and my freedom from the powerlessness of fear, the good news is, It doesn't rest on you being more courageous. As we head into the new year, so many of us are going to have resolutions, we're going to have goals, do all of that. But let me tell you, even greater than the goal of you getting better, you getting stronger, what if this new year you would recognize and settle in that you can't do this on your own, but he has promised to do it in us and through us. Who's the deliverer of fear? Not you, not me. It is I. Don't be afraid. What's the pathway out of fear making you powerless? It's not some self-help book. It's not some different morning ritual. It is I. Don't be afraid. Jesus alone can deliver us from fear. The reality is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, should spark reverence in our hearts we should have deep reverence for the kind of god that would not spare his own son because of the gravity of sin and the immensity of his love for us that god should be revered we should walk with deep respect for him but look what else Scripture says as we close. I want to read this passage as the worship team comes forward. Romans, the 8th chapter, verse 31 and onward. If I could invite you, just right where you're at, if you could just close your eyes. I want you to hear this, this without the distraction of sight. I want you to hear these words. If you're watching at home, just sit and listen to what Romans 8 that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Could I invite us to stand as we respond to God in these next few moments? And as we stand, whether you're here in person or at home, I want you to bring your fears to God. Don't deny them, don't ignore them. Bring them truthfully to God. And as you bring them, Ask him to make the fear of him greater than the fear of that thing. God, I want to fear you more than I fear being sick. I want to fear you more than I fear losing my job. I want to fear you more than I fear losing social face. I want to fear you more than I fear anything in this life. Lord, you're, you're not asking us to deny the reality of fear But you are speaking to the spirit of fear. The spirit of fear that would cause us to fear you less and to fear things more. That has no place in our life. And so Jesus, we hear you say yet again, it is I, don't be afraid. It is I, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid that I've forgotten you. I've not lost my eye on you. Don't be afraid that you won't be provided for. Don't be afraid that you, you'll go life unfulfilled. Don't be afraid that I've that somehow that I've missed my gaze upon you. I see you. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. Don't be afraid in your marriage. Don't be afraid as a parent. Be afraid about the future. It is I, Jesus. Would you help us to see you as greater than the things we fear? You are the cure for the powerlessness of fear because you are more powerful than anything we could possibly fear. Come to us, Lord, speak to us. As we respond to God, the prayer team is in the back to my left, to your right. If you would like prayer regarding anything you're carrying, any fear you're, you're dealing with, they'd love to pray with you. Anything that you're carrying this morning, whether it's related to the message or not, let's return, let's respond to God in these next few moments.